0: Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. On this week's episode, Jesse shares the latest in the ever-evolving 2020 U.S. theatrical situation. In other words, what's our tenant update? Mike takes a look at a recently published Dear Hollywood article about movie and TV crew safety. We'll talk with Soraya Johnson, a cinema production student and Erie Arts and Culture teaching artist in training about the New Horizons summer virtual filmmaking program for teens. And we're going to share our thoughts on Palm Springs, which broke the record for the biggest sale at Sundance earlier this year and is now on Hulu. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist and director of programming for the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania.
1: I'm Jesse Olszewski, Filmmaker and Project Coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Mike Berlin, Production Sherpa
2: and Erica Berlin's husband.
1: Jesse, you're up. All right. So, what's our tenant update? Basically, if you're just hearing about this, which there's no way you haven't, everyone who's wondering what's going to happen when theaters open back up, because a lot of people are suspecting theaters have been killed by this virus. However, there's one filmmaker who is steadfast in his belief that theaters will come back, and he's using his film to spearhead this initiative. That's Christopher Nolan with his new film Tenant, which everyone is saying is like another inception with its brilliance and its twists. He's been making sure that it gets a theatrical release. Well, Warner Brothers has been agreeing with him. Uh, The only problem is because the virus, the pandemic is still going on. They've had to keep delaying the theatrical release. And now it looks like it's getting pushed back again. And so the compromise that Warner Brothers is claiming is going to be that since a lot of theaters are opening back up internationally what we might end up seeing is a mixed release of *Tenant*, with uh, a big bulk of it happening first overseas before it makes its way back to the U.S. and even the bigger cities that don't have open theaters like New York and Los Angeles, they may be like one of the last cities to see it in theaters. Basically what they said is they're trying to maximize their return on this film because they put a lot into it. That's what they're leaning towards right now. And I think a lot of other big films, big studios are like kind of waiting to see what happens with Tenet before uh, they will also decide on what they're going to do for their theatrical release. And that's for films like Disney's Mulan, Black Widow coming up, there's a new Bill & Ted remake. All of that's kind of up in the air on, on the release dates, but everyone has their eyes on Tenet, and they're waiting to see what's going to happen. So what do you guys think? Should they wait? Should they wait till they can go full steam in the U.S.? or?
0: I just said on episode 58 of the Film Grain podcast when I was talking to Movies at Meadville's general manager that really that's what they need to do. Like uh, Hollywood is so stuck on this opening weekend. I think it would be wise for them to change that from being the norm anyways. And they should just slow roll out tenant everywhere that's able to show it for like the next year, you know, just, just keep it going. Yeah. New York and LA and the old model of, we have to have a huge opening weekend and then everybody forgets about these tent poles after like a month or two i think it needs to change and it could be a good opportunity to change that but what do you think mike and saraya
3: i think they could be concerned about possible like more of a risk of bootlegging which would mean that they would lose a lot of money in sales because there are so many websites where you can just if you're careful enough you can watch a movie for free and then you know what you don't even want like my friend she loves to do it and she's like i don't want to go see it i'll just just look on the bootleg website I have.
2: Throwing your friend under the bus.
3: Yes, yes. Um, What's
2: her name? What's her address? Where's she at?
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'm joking. But um, I mean, myself personally, I would prefer to go by because, you know, money. If you're supporting people, you're supporting their careers, you know, and it's kind of out of respect in a way, but a lot of people don't consider that, and I wonder if they were more worried about... It could pose a concern of where is their most of their money coming from and where can that be
0: exploited well overseas more and more of the pie comes from anyways right jesse i don't know if uh, what you have there shows what they were expecting for in the article they said
1: two-thirds of their total box office would most likely come from overseas yeah so So
0: to your point saraya that That used to be the way things were, but now that's why they played at China, especially so much Hollywood, because that's where they're making most of their money now.
3: I just feel Hollywood's trying to, you know, (laughs) they're trying, especially with like Parasite winning and stuff, to acknowledge, oh wait, there's like other filmmakers in other parts (laughs) of the world? Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's crazy.
0: Um, So crazy.
3: Yeah, I know. So I feel like it might be a step in the right direction, almost.
0: What say you, Mike Berlin?
2: Where they're doing casting and stuff like that, have spacing and everything like that. Uh, China, I just saw on the BBC yesterday, is about to reopen their theaters. And um, concerning the economics now and what it is, it's like we have to we have to try to put. And, and so I think Sariah brought up some interesting points that I had not considered before, particularly with pirating and bootlegging. And that is something that absolutely 100% needs to be considered. Um, I hadn't thought about that, so. But we have to try to start getting back to some sort of semblance of what life was. I know that we will never completely go back to what it, you know, the world. And maybe we shouldn't, you know. Shit was fucked up. But it's, uh, but not everything. And, you know, it's like, we love these films for a reason. And, um i think the world could use a little popcorn entertainment right now i don't normally fall on that side of things but it's uh but it's you know it's been it's been pretty heavy (laughs) so um you know i think everybody should be masked up but at the same time we can't turn into a totally uh sterile environment we have to try to find a little bit of our flavor again if you will
0: i mean let's be honest the problem is america right like uh, hundred it's hundred. it's us oh, yeah. it's brazil
2: india stuff india yeah.
0: and a little bit south africa but i mean we're we're screwing this up for ourselves really like other places as you said mike are starting to reopen i would imagine europe if their theaters aren't open already will be soon and canada and other places i mean this is on us so it
2: kind of comes down to you know Art should not have to wait for the United States to open up, and not you know we can we can uh, we can argue about the the merits of Nolan. People shouldn't have to wait because we can't get this virus under
1: control. I kind of respect Nolan for what he stands for. You know, he believes the theater is how movies should get watched. I don't know though. It's. Everything changes, everything in life changes. So I I don't think this is any different. So
0: Dunkirk to me was a completely different experience at home than at the theater. To me, when they're spending like 200, 300, 400 million dollars on these movies, like just to drop it at home, I can wait another year for Tenant. Like, to be honest, I'm not going to get all pissed off if I don't get to see Tenant in 2020. You know, it's like certain movies, maybe if your budget is 50 million dollars and below, you know, if Warner Brothers doesn't go with this plan of the slow rollout, where it's available, when it's available understanding the risks that soraya said again it comes down to smaller movies like smaller movies if they're getting pirated most of the filmmakers are happy people are watching their movie their movies getting out there you know so it's like (laughs) if uh if you got like 20 million dollar 10 million dollar five million dollar movies that are like waiting around to see what tenant is gonna do i mean it kind of feels like you don't need to be waiting around that's that's the old world
1: yeah I guess f- for me, if it comes out, I'll watch it. If I have to wait a year, I'll end up waiting a year. I don't know if I know much better than everyone else. I did see that a lot of other films have been pushed back. Wonder Woman 1984 is pushed to October. Uh, Dune by Legendary Studios is now December. And then The Conjuring 3 is June of 2021. So not till next summer. So
3: This might be far-fetched, but... Uh... It would just be interesting if I could see some of these big Hollywood companies invest some money into making drive-in movie theaters more accessible to people. So that would 100% kind of almost benefit them in a way. If this is a concern, then it's also pretty safe. I went to one with my brother for his birthday. What did you see? We saw Jaws. Trolls?
0: Trolls World Tour? Yes. Uh,
3: (laughs) (laughs) We saw uh, Jaws in Jurassic Park. So they show like two movies but there oh, was nice. a pack. this pack oh my gosh like there's so many people there because they can't go to the regular movie theater so i almost feel like get him get more innovative you know like yeah. i don't think people are innovative enough i think i just like this is the way it's supposed to be i don't want to change it's just like come on dude like it just be interesting these are billion dollar companies.
1: deadline that wrote the article they they did say there's about 5000 theaters in the US only about 1000 of them are open but drive-ins are kind of dominating all of greenings right now in the US Makes but it would be cool if if the studios you know made a push for that that i think that would be like a big them stepping out of their comfort zone
0: yeah maybe if you see if you see america continue to uh be selfish and keep this going forever and ever i mean maybe if we roll back around and we're starting to look at summer 2021 you might see some investment and some
2: alternatives mike what about dear hollywood dear hollywood okay well here we go uh so there was how should we explain this uh on the website optimize yourself there is an article written by one Zach Arnold, I believe I got that right, Zach Arnold, yes. And he is a editor and writer and a general uh, content creator, most, know, most best known for it right now the, uh, the YouTube series, although I think it's moving, called uh, Cobra Kai which was the uh, Karate Kid uh, came a few years later. Anyway, Mr. Arnold, who is no slouched and very experienced in the production industry, has written a Jerry Maguire-esque manifesto, if you will, where he is calling out Hollywood and... Production in general habits of the industry as far as the treatment of people in various departments and lack of diversity hiring and uh, treatment uh, that led to the Me Too movement and uh, the expectation that we have uh, come to to, uh, accept as the norm on behavior on set. And when I say that, it might not even be the most egregious and uh, sort of uh, flagrant of uh, practices. It can be something what people don't, I think, always understand about productions. There's a lot of hard work that goes in uh, behind the camera and uh, it is not uncommon whether you are working on a show or a film or even a a web series and stuff like that for hours to be going from to be spending 15, 16, 20 hours a day back to back to back to back. And Zach Arnold is like. this is unsustainable and it is insane for us to be sort of expecting this from our uh, crafts uh, women and craftsmen and uh, that we need to sort of make a concentrated effort for a more balanced work life sort of medium. And, uh, I, I, and he has called out and this has been something, this article, uh, this editorial has been shared uh, quite a few times uh, by quite a few people and has sort of, it's kicked up a little bit of dust now, the question becomes is, is this going to become sort of a uh, a Martin Luther, you know, nailing it to the front door and people are going to read it and be like, yes, here we go. We're going to change things. Or is it just going to be like, uh, yeah, Zach, we we see it. We know it. And nobody disagrees with you. But what are you going to do about it? Uh, I don't know. And he what he's also calling out is that right now we are... The planes, no planes are taking off, is I think his uh, metaphor. And everything is at a standstill for the first time in production for a long time. And uh, this might be an opportune moment for us to seize the day and change things. And uh, that's what he's calling for. I think his heart, I I think he's in the right. Everything about it, it, he's in the right to do something like that, to have that sort of that change happen on such a foundational level, because this has been a problem long before any of us ever were interested in the theaters. But I love what he has to say. I think, I don't think he's wrong. I really don't. What do you guys think?
1: I I think that the takeaway that was really eye-opening was all of these uh, big studios and companies are saying, when can we get back to normal? And what he's kind of uh claiming is normal wasn't working. So people working 12, 14, 16, 18, 20 hours a week, harsh conditions, editors sleeping in their edit bays and waking up and getting right back to it. So he he's kind of casting a light on some of the tougher conditions in the industry. And then so many people commented, uh just chiming in and, and kind of riffing off of what he said, like hiring daycare professionals for their kids, their their pets that they never get to see, um, you know people claiming OT on their time cards because they don't want to be seen difficult to work with because it's such a who you know industry and you know if if you work with one production person that says oh yeah they they didn't do it the way we wanted you know you can kind of get blacklisted so I, I think it's a really good thing that he he did cast this light on these issues um, are they going to change like like you said I don't know I feel like in most big machines of people working things only change when people when they're forced to so i i feel like we're going to end up seeing a kind of hybrid of thing people are going to be working less anyway because those are those are going to be the conditions people will be allowed to work through a pandemic so you know 12 hour work days might change to six to ten hour work days and some of the other literature i've been reading on what on set conditions will be like, maybe some good will come out of it. I hope it will. And everyone can move forward while still making good content.
2: Fat chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the optimist in me was. I was, I, 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 I
2: I totally agree. I, listen, I think things should change, and I think that there are some things. Sorry to uh, cut you off, sorry John. Uh, but it, it, I think the technology is maybe one of the things that could help us here. Uh, it, it's you know, and we are able to sort of able to sort of pace things out, obviously. You know, pre-production, pre-production, pre-production. There's so much, but the reality is, is like John and I have talked about this on previous prior episodes and stuff like that. It's going to be really expensive in the era of coronavirus and COVID for the um, smaller independent uh, productions to really be able to function and to meet the guidelines uh, that are being provided by the uh, the unions. Which, by the way, I agree with a lot of those guidelines. But it's like it's going to going to amplify and magnify the cost of the production. There is just no getting around that.
0: I know Soraya wants to jump in here i'll just quickly say that yeah i mean i always think of this initially in the perspective of like the level that i'm at which is you know under a million dollar feature films which you know it's it's just the logistics of a feature film is like a 70 to say 120 page script in general you know a page of script is A minute uh on the screen and it's just so much work and time to to shoot that much footage it's just hard for me to yeah i mean i get it when we were filming on earth right i think what were the longest days we had jesse like 14 15
1: hours probably 14 for the for everyone you and me and a (laughs) handful of others that had to work after people going home but yeah, and that's I think that's so typical in the indie world. I'm trying to think like if we needed to implement covid restrictions into Unearth, it would have been didn't have
0: enough money. Yeah, you have to budget in another week. Like you have to budget well, in another And you need that other days. person.
1: You need that one key they had a title for it, but that person that is making sure all the conditions are met, and you probably need like a PA or two for them to go run around and you know doing at the least. sanitizing. So much logistic work that, like you, like Mike said, it's causing it to be more expensive, making it take longer at the same time.
0: I mean, when I did an indie feature the the budget that was basically pizza and you know buying some equipment we didn't work 14 hour days like probably the longest we did was 10 and you know all the filming was off and on and it was on the weekends and it was much less stress it's like once you bring in investors and the unions and health insurance and safety. Yeah, it makes it really it's it's it kind of widens the gap between studio and independent and kind of makes it like if you want to make a professional it's it's not an excuse. It's just uh I'm just trying to get my head around because we should be working less hours. We we should. It isn't healthy. I mean, like at some point you're all running on adrenaline, right? You're not really realizing, but I'm sure that. You know, we had some people that were getting exhausted and and tired and thankfully we didn't have like serious health situations. But as I think Saray is probably gonna comment too, that's not always the case.
3: Back at my school, we have a literal professor who teaches safety. He made me aware of this program, this organization called Safety for Sarah. Um, It's about this woman. It was founded by this woman's parents, um, Sarah Jones. She was on a film set. I can't remember who's. I'm looking at the website. I can't remember. Long story short, it's on a set. There's a train track. And they weren't, they thought, they went up to the train track and they looked at the schedule and thought it would be safe and the train wouldn't run. But the train had to tr- change a route and she got hit and died. So this whole organization is basically based on making things in film sets more ethical, less hours in funding, independent filmmakers, you know, the gray area in between industry and independent, giving them money so they can go on and make more ethical films without working like 12, 14 hours. I personally, I'm just at the beginning. Like, I don't feel like I have much to say right now off of experience. I've even thought about it going on even student sets or hearing about you know how many hours and i'm just thinking about my future like oh should i have kids or oh like my gosh like how do you how do you juggle all these things and um i think artists people anywhere but mostly in film i realized film and fashion i don't know why it's just these two these two art forms you're just expected to just be invincible
0: just kill yourself
3: yeah like just ridiculous hours and you just expect it to be invincible and we're all human at the end of the day.
2: I can co-sign what you're saying because I've worked fashion uh, week. Uh, for, I worked fashion week for seven years. Oh and wow. It was uh, it was like perfect car crash of exactly what you're talking about and yeah. two industries, the nature of them just grind you to another.
3: Yeah, I was watching a documentary about Alexander McQueen and I was thinking about it, you know, and almost like the world that fashion world kind of like sucked him in he worked so many hours he had no love he had no relationships he had nothing and then i was thinking about the filmmakers that made this long film at the same time i was like well they must have spent all these hours too so um just to add to that but i, I don't know i feel like if people are innovative and i think they'll come up with a way i do recommend anybody who's listening to look up safety for Sarah. I think it's a great organization. It
0: sounds spot on to what, what we need. Yeah. Um, The big studios, they have the money. They can, they can do things ethically, right? They can, they, it's just a choice with them. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. need to spend a little more and, but they're already taking a long ass time much longer than anybody else to do it. So it's just how, how rich do the people at the top want to get that year? As opposed to adding some more safety, I think this organization sounds fantastic, and that's what the rest of us need.
3: Actually, to add to this, on like a production thing, um, I was looking. I just played the game Last of Us Part Two. Nice. It's yes, 10 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> had me on a roller coaster the whole time. It's kind of it's very movie like almost. You feel like you're participating in a film. It took them six years. 60 years complete that and when I looked at kind of like their whole system and how they produced it it's not much different it's really not at the end of the day but they seem to follow more ethics at the end like
0: video games also are and Matt White who we had on a couple episodes ago could comment to this but video games and post-production like they're very similar with all the cgi and computer work yeah. they are also kind of notorious for long grinding hours right guys i mean
2: yeah matt matt i've heard some horror stories it's and uh while i would say i would video games might be a shade more ethical only because it's younger and they're trying to i think correct some of the some of the things that they've seen happen in the film industry it's not much yeah, there's some they've, they've got pretty high level of burnout
3: just Don't let industry.
2: children go into the arts. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: tough. Why Why are we that way? Um, maybe it is, maybe, you know, occasionally we curse the unions. I know I have, uh, but it is kind of what we need to be the safest. We need an organizing body to be looking out and we need the funding to help independents be more safe.
2: Well, Zach calls, actually calls this out and there is a... They give a tip of the cap to the unions, but then they also point out the fact that there is the nepotism in the unions is a problem. And th- this is one of the things he, you know, it's like everybody, uh, even though I'm not in the union, loved me, but it's just like, I think everybody sort of, it's like, hey, we need the unions. But the unions are playing favorites. And that was one of the things that's called out. And he's like, uh, in the article, there, he's like, that is another part of the problem of normal.
0: Yeah, and they're bullies. They can they can be bullies. Our little film that was out in the middle of nowhere. They were trying to find us. Yeah, I I'd see. They were trying to find us, and it was very stressful. And it didn't need to be that way. To help health and safety, but nepotism, fuck you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on that note. And
0: on that note, our guest today is Soraya Johnson. Soraya... Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So um, Thank you tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you an eerie transplant, or have you been an eerie for your entire existence?
3: Sadly for my entire existence.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: sadly. Not sadly.
3: Uh, well, decently. <laughs> yeah, I've been here since I was born. I was born in Hammett on April 1st. Um <laughs> uh, April
0: 1st? Oh, wow. No shit. Eerie builds character.
3: It does. It does. I think it's very, I try to, I don't know how to explain it because it's not a small town, but it's not a big city, but it just has like these little hidden pieces. I feel like, you know, like (laughs) some of the arts here, I'm just kind of like, oh, didn't know that existed. You know? um, Right. So have you
0: always, have you always been interested in the arts um, when, when you're growing up? yeah where's that come from
3: i think it's just my life you look around my house it looks like an art museum my dad he's an artist he's a drummer painter business art business person he runs a festival what's um, that
0: festival called
3: Come masala connection tell
0: us about amara masala has it always know. been around since uh you you've been around or
3: yeah yeah um it's a really long story but it's almost as if it's, it's supposed to be a movement, a movement of culture, of bringing different cultures to Erie and showing them. And the one thing that we do that is a part of Miramasala as a brand is the Mira Masala celebration, which is the festival. I can't explain it in words as much as if you just need to go online and look it up. It's, it's almost, a party
0: of color and, and culture and yeah. a celebration of life. It's beautiful.
3: It is very beautiful. And um there's this the best way I like explain it, if you've seen The Lion King the musical.
0: <laughs> yeah, I <yeah>. have.
3: Imagine
0: <laughs> you know the
3: you know like the puppets the puppets they have? Imagine that walking down the street to like Brazilian drum music. Those puppets walking down the street with African dancers and music and food and just culture all together. That sounds and, awesome. It yes. is. It's dope. It's dope. It's dope. <laughs> so
0: how how is it growing up with that in your life? I mean, that's incredible.
3: Well, I, it's not even just my dad. It's um, my cousin, she's um, Carly Hughes. She's a huge dancer here. She teaches at collegiate. She runs the dance um, at collegiate. She helps run the Erie Dance Consortium. I can go on for hours, like her whole danceography, like I like to say. And so I was grew up around her and my dad, and I've been going to art museums since I was a little kid. And my dad was always giving me lessons about art and what it means. This is what this means. And <laughs> if if you're an artist, this is this is what it is. And to run a business, you've got to know how everybody else works. Okay. Okay. This just always put sort of things around. I remember I used to look at this big massive book. My dad has a lot of art books, but just this big book, and it had like all these old art paintings just, like, flip through it for hours, and I would have this other book, and it had, like, these photos of these kids' faces, and I think, like, maybe it's around then, like, when I was really little, I think that's when film subconsciously clicked in my brain.
0: Like, what age are, you, are we maybe talking?
3: Four, probably. Okay. I wasn't much of a drawer, as I was a performer. What um,
0: what arts, uh, like, what mediums were you kind of drawn to in your early early age?
3: Oh, damn not as much dance as it was acting. I remember I would watch, I would watch a movie, and I can still do it to this day. I'd watch a movie, and then I could word for word mimic the person, <laughs> or I could mimic the scene. Just Jesse, giving
1: up. you it's, it's a it's a gift that not everyone understands. You could do
3: it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. People are like,
1: "How do you know that movie?" Like, <laughs> I, just, I just do. I just I know them all.
3: I know, and um. I remember I used to go with my dad to you know, play practices or with my cousin to like her play practices and I would sit there and I would just know all the words. Like I would just be able to like, and then Glenda said this, oh, Like I would just be able to just Super turn Super handy on.
1: for acting. That's yeah,
3: just- yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, I think around five I was in my first play. It was called No Nuts Please loved it. And um, I played a grape named Goober. And um, I think ever since then, I just wasn't interested in theater, but something wasn't right. Like up until I got older, something wasn't right. It wasn't clicking. I did Mm. Footlights theater program. It's a summer theater program for years, I think for almost eight, seven, eight years, I did that every summer. It just wasn't clicking, I don't know. It's just something wasn't...
0: Like you enjoyed it, but it didn't feel like you're quite finding your your place in the arts?
3: No, it didn't. It's just something was missing. Something was missing. And um, I just always watch movies, but I never thought, oh, I could never do that. Like, you know, and I got into photography and probably- When did you get
0: your first camera?
3: 16. On my birthday, I never got anything that expensive, but I got a Canon T5. Oh my gosh, I was so happy.
0: I, do I have just... a zoom zoom lens on that. Yeah, do oh yeah, get,
3: I... do you remember the focal length?
2: What are we talking here?
0: Yeah. Oh,
3: Okay, <laughs> I have a 35 to 85. Okay. Right. And then I have a 75 to 300. I don't
0: know 70 ooh. to 300.
1: 70 to 300.
0: Yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh.
3: And I think I want to get, I don't know, I'm debating if I'll get just a new lens or get a new camera. We'll see. Because I kind of like those Sonys, they were looking kind of pretty to me when I was fine. <laughs> so 16? Uh, I'm too, too. Like <laughs> it's Like. Oh, 16,
0: really first, cool. first camera, 16.
3: Mm-hmm. So you're going
0: out, you're doing still photography.
3: Yeah. And I've just, I always had a fat like, I had a fascination with portraits I had a fascination with like candid street photography and even just regular portraits like I could not take a photo of a tree to save my life like no land like I was just a strict human person and um,
0: like Cunningham stuff you're talking about street photography or like what are some photographers that you really
3: uh well one portrait photographer there. I love and he's he's famous but I love Richard Avedon like I love him. I love him so much I love him so much and I love that photo he did of Marilyn Monroe and it's he like waited six hours with her in that photo shoot waited six hours and his like whole like thing that he wanted to test out was what's the real Marilyn
2: Monroe
1: Hmm.
3: and she like started to get tired and then he took a photo of her and it's probably one like the coolest like it's just like her just looking very tired and he's like this is probably the most accurate depiction of her without all Fake mask on. I always loved those kind of things. I love um, Carrie Mae Weems, like her table series. I love that. Um, I just was always just so obsessed with faces. I I can't even like place photographers all the time. Just I would just look at stuff, you know. And,
0: Interesting. So you're starting to find your your medium to
3: mm-hmm. express
0: yourself. And then, right. uh, were you involved in some? arts programs in uh like grade school i mean i know we met we met in one of one of those
3: yeah in grade school (sighs) i did i did a lot of theater forever and i did dance till i did dance at miss ashley's till i was like seven i stopped doing dance i did theater for like ever till i was till i probably met you when i was 15 I think I met you 15 or 16
0: 16 I think yeah
3: yeah um
0: at the downtown YMCA
3: yep I think it all clicked in in sophomore year when I went to cyber school I had like a long schooling history but um for two years in high school I was in cyber school and um which
0: which cyber school pa cyber okay
3: they had a cinema class and i was like all right i like movies I'm gonna take that um i loved it hmm. i loved it I what loved did it you do in that.
0: in the cinema class in cyber school
3: i wrote a script it's one of my favorite scripts to this day i wrote a I remember I wrote Story Treatment for the first time.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, I had to produce one film, and then one film, I think it had to be two minutes, and then the second one had to be like five minutes. And I just love those two things, especially the second one. I just remember I just started watching Wes Anderson around that time, (laughs) every film major, and I was just like, I fell in love with him, and I think that's when it all clicked. And um, I was at the Y doing dance and I told Miss, um, what did I tell? I told somebody, I'm just like, yeah, I, look, I think I might go into filmmaking and introduce me to you. Huh. And you and Ellie and I think that that was it. That's when it all kind of started.
0: So what's what's your one script about that's your favorite so far
3: now that's my favorite i think that. well
0: i mean the one that you that you wrote if you want to share
3: when i was that was my first script i wrote it's terrible like i mean it's terrible as far as formatting goes um it's just a scene and it's just this boy and he's running through a city and he has this girl on his back and he just like it's running from somebody and you just don't know who it is and then it goes down this alleyway and i don't want to say too much but like this guy comes and turns out like the whole kind of like plot reveals from their conversation
0: okay <laughs> but, all right so okay. it's a nice little short with a twist
3: yeah well, well you
0: gotta I, shoot it someday of course
3: it's superhero almost so i kind of like i've always been hesitant because of that but yeah.
1: now's the time yeah. superheroes. Honestly. <laughs> we, need, we need superheroes
3: I get a we'll little s- like tired sometimes <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs>
0: no it's all good so um all right so you're almost done with um grade school right and it's time to decide on college and you're faced with I would assume the eternal question for all of us to film school or not film school And what did you
3: decide? Ever since I was little, I was yelled, college, 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 college. And I don't think there was ever debate. I think I thought about it. I thought about taking a gap year for a while, but I needed to go to film school. I didn't think I had any other choice. I was in a really bad situation at my high school. I wasn't really, my mental headspace was not quite there at the time so I think and my self-esteem was so down low um with my ability to get into school Mm. that I really didn't I didn't keep my options wide open that's more what I'm saying and that's like my advice keep your options wide open like I think
0: there's so much pressure though, right? There's so much pressure on you when you get to that point of like and nobody I mean, people say they have it figured out, but who has that who has that figured out? That's a big that's a big life decision.
3: And I went to collegiate and collegiate was they're very, very, very um intense and they're very strict and they're- Yeah,
1: they're super academics.
3: Yep. And I was there with dyslexia and ADHD and so it made it even harder. And a lot of times, um, the teachers wouldn't make me feel worthy enough. So I remembered I was going to apply, I think it was to Ithaca or NYU. And they told me, oh, you won't get in there. You your
0: your you advisors know? told you
3: that? Or
1: yeah?
3: The counselors did, I remember. One of the counselors was just like, well, you have a 2.5, so I don't know. That. That's just not going to. That's so. For you.
1: Oh, that's just <laughs> typical. Yeah, counselor nonsense.
3: And um, it wasn't just them, it was like the teachers, I remember, it was just a lot of different people. I just
1: Didn't that make you want to like do it more though?
3: It <laughs> did, but at the time it was just so like, I can't even explain how much, I wasn't eating, it was really bad. Oh, wow, um, mm-hmm. I went to visit Point Park though. I just okay. constantly, I was like, yes, it's in the city. I love cities, It just, <laughs> just right, yes, 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 yes and I applied there and I got in. I applied to three schools. I applied to Ithaca really late, so I didn't get in, but I kind of was expecting because I applied really, really late. And um, I also applied to Chicago, um, Columbia College, Chicago. And it's very interesting comparing the two because um, Point Park's definitely cheaper on a cheaper scale. And Columbia is definitely on the more expensive scale. It's just interesting, like, because Columbia kind of just shoved all of the glitz, like all the, like, here's these expensive cameras. This, this <laughs> camera was shot with Star Wars. Here's, like, this sound studio. Here's this, here's that. But um, Point Park seemed to just value just your education. Hmm. Um, I think they just- uh-huh.
0: So like Chicago was like Columbia was name dropping. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh I'm sorry. That was
0: that was their approach. And yeah. uh Point Park was like, um we want we want you to be the star, kind of a kind of a thing.
3: Right. Right. Gotcha. And I don't think I tried much more after I got into Point Park. I think like, okay, this is it. I don't think I'll get in anywhere else. So I went there. Um
0: And this was last year?
3: Mm-hmm. Just last okay. year, so I'm a COVID freshman. <laughs> I'm a COVID <laughs> freshman. Um,
0: yeah. Wow. All right. So let's. Um, Jesse, is it you clicking that or Saraya? Who's clicking? I'm clicker? not
1: clicking. Okay. I'm okay. clicking watch a pen.
0: Click, watch your clicker, Saraya. All right. I'm we'll sorry. we'll come back. We'll come back, Britton. Um, so tell us about your first year of film school. How how was that experience?
3: It was a lot of good, and a little bit of bad. But I want to keep it honest, but not like discouraging. Me. Of so course. I, I just want to put that out there. Um, first week I got there, they had a freshman film challenge. It was their first time they were doing it. And I was kind of like, oh, this sounds like a good idea. This sounds like a really cool idea. So, What's the challenge? I forgot all the details, but you just had to make. A, you're gonna get a mentor, two mentors, and you're gonna make a, a film. It had to be a certain amount of minutes, like three minutes or something, and then they were gonna award three students. Uh, I mean, three groups. Um, and you had to have like a crew. There wasn't much about it, and you had to get it approved by the safety director. Okay. So um, they kind
0: of threw you threw you out to figure it out on your yeah. own kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. And this is your freshman Yeah, that's
1: interesting for that is interesting.
3: <laughs> Which it was it was helpful because you had mentors. With you.
0: Were the mentors like upperclassmen or were they professors or they were people, alumni or Okay. Upperclassmen.
3: Yeah, um, so <laughs>
2: i Party. can hear that though mike say that again mike i said that that gets even more interesting
3: <laughs> yeah it does and i have some i have some stories about that i, I feel like know. i feel like i came in with a little bit of knowledge not that i knew everything um thanks to you john but like i came in even just some of the negative experiences with the why kind of geared me up you know for yeah, the toughness you, you,
0: you knew enough that things don't go smoothly and uh, you're always adapting and compromising.
3: Yeah. And I think theater also taught me that too. Like you're not always going to, it's not always going to go smooth. And um I kind of knew what I wanted. Um I met a girl named Sarah, which is, I call her Boomer. I'm going to say her name because I love Boomer. And I met my friend named Kay and you know, just fresh in there, you know, and I was thinking, you know, the three of us, us us women, we should, we should, we should do a film, but we didn't know about what yet, and I can't remember exactly how it went down, but I remember how I came up with the idea, um, I was sitting, like, in my dorm, and I was watching a compilation of What Would You Do, and I saw this one with this mother insulting her gay daughter or something, and I'm like, that's it, and so I came up, approached them. I'm like, it's this really simple idea. It's about a girl, gay, and her mother doesn't like it. And she has to accept it at the end. And that was all. There like, you I'm go. Like, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's not going to be much. Um, and they were down. And we... Really didn't have a script yet. It was really short notice. So we didn't have a script yet. We didn't have anything yet. So, um well, we met with our mentors and like, you don't have a script, you don't have this, you don't have that. We're like, No, we just like kind of just got the idea. It's still like fresh, like we don't know. And so we had to type a script that night. And we had to fill out like a safety form and we had to do all this stuff and we had to find actors and
0: you did it the Hollywood idea with these, with some of these tent poles. They come up with the idea or the sequel, and then they'll yeah. figure out the script later, like last minute or on set.
3: Yeah, and I was like, all right, cool. It was definitely an adapting point because I never had to write a shot list and act to this day. Sometimes
1: I hate shot lists. I hate shot lists. (laughs) (laughs) It's so important, though. It's so important. You have to think through, like, okay, every shot. How's it gonna flow? Yeah. And if you do it but ahead of time, then you don't even have to think about it on the day. (laughs) Like you just you just know what's next. I love that Jesse and I are both like, whoa, whoa, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Don't hate the shot list. I know.
0: Yeah, the, the people on crew would very much appreciate if, um, you know, more, more directors uh, would, Stuck would to do them. shot
1: lists. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, plead I, I, just, I plead the fifth. I plead the
3: fifth.
1: Sometimes you got a and gun. When you have no resources, no help, you just fly.
3: Well, I just think life. I was used to that. Yeah. yeah. It's used to just flying, man. Like, set me out there. I got the script. I'm going to leave.
1: I've, I've figured noticed, it out. When you're first starting out, it's like every shoot you do, you get like a little more professional with each one. Like your yeah. first, you like you're holding the boom and the camera and telling the talent what to do. And then mm-hmm. the next time you get a couple extra hands, it's like, okay, you can hold the boom and I'll do everything else. And it's just, you just learn as you go.
3: Yeah. And this, I think with that, I was just like shocked. Cause so how did it turn it was... out?
1: How did it, how does it look?
3: It turned out well, and I think this was my idea. And I just need to learn to like step back a little bit. Like, well, since oh, it was okay.
1: my idea, it was so good.
3: Because I was just like, We
0: benefited from my involvement on this yeah. project.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, was, and I feel bad because I'm definitely a tyrant. Might kids up from John. <laughs> like, you know, just like, this is how I envision it. Like, this is how I see yeah. it. But um, there's other people that are also envisioning it. And I think that taught me like a lot. That taught me a lot, you know, in that sense. And both of them are still my like they're they're like my homies to this day. And um, I think the one thing that I found difficult that I didn't get, um, I'm not gonna say. I, I was talking like about certain camera angles, and they thought if the talent talks to the camera as if the camera is like the other talent that you're breaking the fourth wall.
0: Mm. Interesting. That is
1: interesting.
3: And, and then that's when I started to get like what do you mean that's breaking because I've like you know I'm used to theater I'm like breaking the fourth wall is talking to the audience.
0: Well, this may be the issue with doing a project like this freshman year.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, this was my mentors that said that to me.
1: Oh. Oh. Huh. But that's the shot you wanted. you wanted it like that.
3: I swear to, we were going to do a conversation with the mom, and they're at a table, and so I wanted to go shot of the daughter, Flip it back, shot of the mom, because they're talking to... yeah, right That,
1: to that to would camera. actually that would make it like more intense if it's mm-hmm. like a drama piece because they' yes. you know, like looking right at the audience.
3: And I easier wouldn't call to... it?:
1: eh, I don't know. Yeah. I think it is breaking the fourth wall technically.
3: Well, yeah, think, but if you're I, showing, I've if you're that.
0: establishing both people at the table and then doing that, then it's that. not
1: right. Right.
2: Yeah. So there'd be a Mike, master shot sorry, of you, both of them. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
0: What were you saying, Mike? Sorry. I, sorry. Sorry.
2: I um I've seen this done before. Actually, a good example of this is uh, the Alienist on TNT does this all the time, where they will show the conversation, the exposition shot of the two actors and or three actors in the scene, and then they're having a they're having conversation and the camera. It is like then when they they make the edit, they are talking to the camera and it is, I think it's a little bit of the nature of that show too, is like you're supposed to try to dissolve what like the clues and it's like almost like they're talking to you and you're supposed to like.
0: And I'm sure that this is also some Wes Anderson influence. That's what I was
2: just (laughs) going to say. It sounds
0: Wes Anderson. Oh
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: This is also Soraya in her Wes Anderson face.
2: Far down the road, uh, Soraya, there was something that you said that I wanted to make you feel better about, uh, Steve, about being a tyrant on set. And Steven Spielberg, who's not my favorite director, but nonetheless has a great line that uh, the trick of a good director is tricking everyone into believing that film set is a democracy. I
3: I honestly feel like that is is. my thought process some days.
1: Wait, did you say is or isn't? Are you sure trick, them, trick is, them that it, that it is a democracy?
2: thinking it's a democracy.
1: Yeah, I believe it. That's good. good. Once it gets line. into the editing room, it doesn't even matter what you say. <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> that. That's a good idea.
0: Well, so, all right, so Soraya, what takeaways do you have for our listeners who may be considering uh, film school or um, maybe would like to share in some of your experience what was your first year like and going forward now that you've been through COVID, what are things looking for you now on the other side
3: I mean, like a big thing I want to tell people and um, anybody who's feels like they're at a slighter disadvantage um, because of my dyslexia I was kind of offended by it. I was trying to have these little meetings with um, each of my professors and just talk about just my disability and just let them know i can do it i have the technology so i can do it i just want to have a face-to-face conversation about it i accidentally messed up i was doing great man and i scheduled a job interview the same day of a meeting i had with my one my one professor and I realized I messed up when I left the interview I was like, whoosh, and I looked at my email and he sent me this. And mind you, this is like the second week of classes. This is not the first week. So he's only met me once because I have one class with him on, on a particular day. He basically told me I met kids with who also have a disability and I knew you weren't like, like you're were going to be a failure really really came for me and he's just like you're just already rude in class and i'm like i was in class with you once i was like it was a syllabus reading what did i say i don't i didn't say anything i'm taking notes and um and i just felt really hurt that he said because i had a little reading problem that i wouldn't make it in the industry he's like i've seen people fail and i'll see it again and um i just want to let people know there's always going to be people like that in the industry your professors, maybe people on your crew, keep doing it. Because at the end of the day, when you make it, and the same thing goes if you're, like, a Black, too. And it's really rough being a Black girl in a class just full of men, just in general. Like,
0: So most of your peers were men?
3: Yeah. And it was – diverse it wasn't just i was genuinely surprised Mm -hmm. um but majority of my peers were and it's not that it's a problem or anything just keep pushing like sometimes i'd have i'm not going to state them, but some sexist stuff said to me and i'm like okay bro like just keep pushing just keep pushing it's gonna happen it's always gonna happen and it's always getting ready that's shitty
0: shitty that you went through that but you obviously Mm -hmm. kept kept going and
3: uh doesn't kill you makes you stronger you know
2: (laughs) Career, I will say people because they ain't worth the time and if they anybody ever says that shit to you, you don't ever put up
3: with it oh yeah no I just I just add it to my like I'm tough that's what I call uh, it like yeah uh, things I'm you've overcome yeah. yeah and I would love to see finally like you know and Ava DuVernay she's coming up but like I would love to to see like a black woman oh she's she's there (laughs) Ava (laughs)
0: DuVernay she is there
3: yeah and um, we
0: need more Ava DuVernay's though yeah yeah um
3: I forgot her name
0: we got Nia with um Candyman she she's yep she's on the rise um yeah but there's still too too few obviously yeah yeah
3: Yeah. and um yeah that's all I have to say because people are always gonna I realize like in the arts my dad, he to always tell me, they're going to criticize you, criticize you, criticize you. You just got to keep your head up high and do what you do. And that's pretty much what you got to do. You always got to keep your head up high and do what you have to do. And if it gets to be a point where it's like, okay, bro, go to somebody about it. I just need like, I've seen a lot of that. A lot of that.
0: What are you doing now this summer? And what are you going to do next?
3: Looking into transferring schools. That's a big thing right now. But right now, I'm, I'm trying to build a solid website to put my photos and my work up on and really try and get my name out there. How to make a name for myself. Because
0: Build a portfolio.
3: Yeah, build a portfolio. Real, real, real strong portfolio. Because a degree is only going to get you so far, no matter what your major is. But especially in like the arts, like it's only going to get you so far. So in a sense, you've got to go out there and get this stuff yourself. And um, I know I want to do a couple of photography projects. I've been talking to a friend and I'll just see. I'm just excited for what's.
0: You. It sounds like you made a couple good contacts at mm-hmm. Point Park, you know, because of one thing we hear a lot is networking is good at film school because you're kind of like already test running potential crew and, you know, people that maybe you'll work with. Would you say that that's, that's definitely the case with choosing film school you get a leg up there
3: oh yes oh yes um you need people in film there's so many little pieces and just minute things big things you need people and you need good people putting you right into film school puts you with the right people at the end of the day it puts you with a good group of people it gives you a security blanket in a way so if you mess up you're not you're not harming yourself as much people always in your back an institution kind of behind your back i just i i wish sometimes in just society in general we valued community and have and i think film is the epitome of needing each other you know like, I suck at sound, but my friend, Sarah, she can hear stuff I cannot hear. She's like, oh, well, that would be a good brain sound. I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't hear it. You need that person. You need that person that's going to have your back. And even when you are going crazy and you are acting a fool on set, because, you know, um, <laughs> this is, people to always hold your back and make sure that you don't fall and, you do the same to them. Um, in film school, I don't think you can find that anywhere else but in film school. And or so it'll take
0: like, or it'll take a, a while. <laughs> a
3: really long while. A really long while. You just put it in a you know pool of them.
0: Yeah. I love it. All right, before we let you go, let's talk about Erie Arts and Culture and uh, New Horizons and what is the project that we are just starting this week as we're recording this.
3: We are starting a film summer film program. Or students in the city of Erie. Do you know all the area codes that were the core?
0: To? They call it Erie's, core. Co- like the downtown core. One six five oh one oh two oh okay. seven and 08 maybe. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure off the yeah. top of my head. Okay, so why to- are they looking at these zip codes for this project?
3: So these What's the stu-
0: importance of
3: to get one to give these kids a voice? Because in the heat of a pandemic, or in the heat of anything, I think movies bring each other together us all together more. As we were talking about with theaters earlier, it brings it just brings people together, and it also gives people the liberty to tell their stories. And these stories can reach, you know, to more rich and people that aren't aware of what's going on, or you know, culture them a little bit. You know, like the mayor and the city, and um, just other parts of the of the city that yeah hear this that they need to get gain an understanding because oh my gosh you will not believe when I go to make on oh, Mill Creek if you heard what these people say about downtown they act like it's Compton like they'll- oh wow oh, that's, that's downtown. Oh, you might get shot there. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I think this would definitely bring more culture to a lot of these people's
0: viewpoint. So that's the effect on those that see the content. But uh, So we've got six, six young people that we're meeting this week from yeah. different, different walks of life. Um, what are they going to come away with in this class? What do you hope they come away with?
3: I hope they, I can't describe that it is when you finish a film project. That's indescribable. I just want them to walk away with more knowledge of themselves and more confidence in who they are and that they matter. And I just want them to feel fulfilled. Like, oh, I completed this. I owe this. Like, videos are permanent. They're, They're puzzle pieces. It's like a picture. Putting this end, this end, this piece, and it's just one big photo, you know, and I just want them to feel that like warm feeling in your heart. Just like, I did this. God, yes. You know, I just, yeah. I can't
0: wait. I like how you describe it like a, like a puzzle. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. That's appropriate. Uh, Mike, Jesse, do you have any last questions or words for
1: our wonderful guest? Oh, no, let's was- keep keep making movies keep on and <laughs> post them let us let us watch them somehow
2: yes I, I always like asking this because i'm an old fart now and stuff like that but as far as like try to get uh some perspective from those who are younger and absorbing more than i am and now like what do you think is uh what styles and trends do you see uh happening that you're gravitating towards
3: for myself or just everybody for
2: yourself for yourself
3: habits as far as artistically could you elaborate girl oh the florida projects hands down one of my favorite movies and because love color i do not think there is for myself that i could not have a film that does not express anything without color i just find myself like i don't really gravitate towards like a certain genre or certain style and like i said like what i said with the, the breaking the fourth wall shot let's just say that mm-hmm. um definitely like that would be a huge thing that i would do just very like rule of thirds like just head-on just staring at the camera that's just a thing like i just like like the the talent staring into your soul like that is like it comes out of my photos it comes out in my um uh, in like my film work if i could probably send you like this short film i did for my freshman p1 Well, you, you could go. just see it come through i had yeah like, send it yeah. bright blue black wall with like these line these like lines and they were like framed in each line and i also i really like silent silent movies That's awesome. so you like
0: composition color it's something about
3: music like just letting the music tell the story and not hearing the characters talk i don't know why well, i just they called, really...
2: they called the golden age of cinema for a reason
3: yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just how I see stuff, you
0: know. That's awesome. And yeah. Mike, I know you just watched the Red Shoes, which that that's kind oh. of a combination oh, of all three. Oh
3: yeah.
2: I'd never seen it before. That was that
3: was a trip. Oh,
0: it's amazing. Jeez.
3: I'll watch that. Uh, the Red Shoes. Yeah. yeah,
0: Red Red Shoes by Pressburger and the uh, and Pressburger. Michael Powell. Some of their films are like just amazing, amazing cinema.
2: If you actually watch it, let it rock for a minute because it's in the It's in the middle of the film, sandwiched right at smack dab in the middle of it, that it takes it to another level. Like, yeah. Nothing oh, I, I love those. It. Yeah. It, it, you're like, what is going on here? And you think it's going to be another formulaic story. And then they, they get into <laughs> a whole uh, performance that is just one. slappy
3: with it. It's slappy yeah. with it. I get annoyed sometimes with some superhero movies and there's just like, it just feels like dense. Where is the color? Where's the color? Like, where's the vibrance? Aren't y'all fighting? Like, why is it dark? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then, um, I watch Mad Max and I'm like, that's how it should be done. Thank you. Like, it should not be always so like, unless it's Batman, I give Batman a pass. I'll be in like grim. It just starts to feel repetitive after a while. And I'm just like, I get really irritable. I agree more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Really irritable. <laughs>
2: I'm,
0: I'm laughing because Unearth is like double desaturated.
3: Really? <laughs> yeah. But like before fine. Why did I just uncut gems? Like in mm. those situations, I'm like, it's needed. But like Black Panther sometimes pisses me off. Because I'm like, in like, like car chase scene, I'm like, why is it dark? I'm like, yeah, why that's is good, it dark? That's a good
0: point, yeah. it's Black
3: Panther why is it like so dimly lit where's like the Africanness you know like where's the brightness like you know the vibrancy
0: yeah with the music and uh, yeah there's a lot of bombast in that movie so yeah that's a good point that scene did did stand out for some reason I bet you hit the nail on the head there
3: my daddy he always gets mad that I criticize it I'm like I'm sorry (laughs) it's my opinion dad sorry (laughs) well Soraya
0: this has been a lot of thank you for your time
3: No problem, anytime. And
0: thanks for saying yes to the New Horizons Project at Erie Arts and Culture as well. All right, Mike, you want to jump into Palm
2: Springs? Okay, our movie this week is on Hulu, and it is Max Balko. His film is Palm Springs, which premiered at this Sundance Film Festival in a time before COVID. And it tells the, shall we say, the eternal story of... Andy Samberg's character, Niles, and Christine Melody's character, Sarah, and they get stuck in a time loop during a wedding. Hilarity and deep introspection ensues. Let's just jump right into it. It's hilarious. It it is a funny funny, funny ass movie. (laughs) And uh, to take uh, sort of this trope that we've seen before, whether it be something like Groundhog's Day or more recently like a Russian doll on Netflix and to just give it a little bit of tongue in cheek. It's interesting because I don't think I recognized this before as a genre of sorts, but it, has kind of become a bit of a genre with the playing of time and uh, the whole butterfly effect and stuff. Sandberg, who I'm lukewarm on, but like then when you start to think about his catalog, it's like, it's like he's really doing some pretty, some pretty great stuff. I think he kills it and he shows a range before, or he shows a range that I don't think he's actually demonstrated before. And uh, you start to think to yourself, are we starting to see, are we seeing the immersion of a, what could be a serious actor? I think maybe. And that sounds ridiculous, considering that, you know, the Chronicles of
1: Narnia rap... (laughs) Uh, yeah lazy sunday
2: lazy sunday but uh career-wise he's writing with his uh other producers uh from lonely planet he's he's starting to put together a catalog of work that i am going to go out on a limb here reminds me a little bit of peter sellers and he's really starting to put some some critical thought into what he's doing but at the same time he knows uh, the pitches that he has to throw um so what did you think of this film
1: Well, I have to come clean right off the bat. I didn't get to watch it, but I put it on at like four o'clock and I watched like the first 40 minutes and already I'm sold and I love everything I've seen. I'm up to the part where they just, they're like having fun. Like they 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 take the plane and like they crash it. Oh, the yeah, right, yeah, yeah. like, they, 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 I, I can tell something's gonna happen with J.K. Simmons like there's, it's right before some conflict is about to happen because everything's really up in the air and nice. But he has me laughing and, and honestly, I love all his work. I've been following him since Lonely Island, even before SNL. The SNL and my roommate, he loves Brooklyn Nine-Nine so i've seen him in that and yeah like that role is like campiness to the max always even when he has serious moments on the show they're never like they never feel as genuine as i've seen already in this film where he's just so like dead to the world just wants to have fun doesn't care like already uh in this movie i just i totally see him exploring some things i haven't seen before so i love it
2: he plays a little bit of a damaged character
1: Yeah, but it's, it's believable. believable. Like he knows how broken he is and he just rolls with it. He doesn't like apologize for it or anything. He's just like, yeah, come on, let's just live it up. The millennial uh, nihilist. Yes. (laughs) I don't know what it is about the time loop trope, but we love it. I also thought of Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Oh, sure. Put an action spin on it and then Happy Death Day more recently which put a pseudo horror but still comedy spin on it which i didn't see but heard was wildly popular they made a scene Yeah movie. it was pretty good it was pretty good <laughs> we just, just love the time loop i don't know i i compare a lot of people
0: coming out snl to like what sandler did right and sandler balances <laughs> you know the straight out comedy potty humor comedy uh with the serious and then yeah i'm curious because sandberg's stuff even the stuff that's you know more comedy than than this um it always has that bit of there's more weight to the characters there's a little more time with making them i mean i love adam sandler's old stuff don't get don't get me wrong but they were you know a lot of like one note potential uh mental is- issues if they are real life people uh whereas sandberg's people feel like lived in hot rod and pop star and like they're very in- enjoyable films and i think it's because um they do more character work like even the bash the bash brothers i don't know if you guys watch i've, it. I've, I've seen the quest. bash brothers
2: the Marcus <laughs> it's so ridiculous it's
0: hilarious <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious okay so there's a couple secret weapons it's that yes he's growing up shall we say so that does um give things a little more weight yeah. and importance but also i'll say i think for this movie kristen miliotti is like the secret weapon i think she's amazing i don't know what she's been in before but I was, like, drawn to her right away like he was her at the wedding party. and
1: Dude, that was so good when he's, like, <laughs> da- dancing and maintaining dance. eye contact the whole time. Oh, that's so Andy Samberg. <laughs> the only thing
2: I can think of that I've seen uh, Milioti in is uh, Fargo. And she definitely, oh. definitely jumped out at me uh, in the series Fargo. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I, she's clearly got some chops. Uh, I, I hope she gets more roles like this. Yeah, it's good seeing, uh, like,
0: J.K. Simmons, too, in there, you know? Yeah. Um, Mixing it
2: up. His plot is not going to resolve the way you think it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Ooh, I mean, yeah.
1: it felt like I was at the halfway point, but I have, like, I think 50 minutes left, and I'm like, man, a lot of stuff has to keep happening.
2: Sandberg and uh, Sandler are actually two interesting actors to sort of compare to each other, John, because I think on some level, uh, comedy does, uh, like the comedy that connects uh, to sort of to the main vein of American society and stuff like that, I think a lot of times reflects where we are emotionally. And I think, uh, honestly, now we can look back and probably do some sort of retrospective of Sandler, And he's really, you know, it's, it's comedy, but it's like he has tapped into like this sort of angry vein of America. That has, you know, sort of, I think, uh, presented itself now. Sandberg's more of the, uh, I don't want, I don't know if he's necess- if the intellectual is the way to put it, but like um, the class clown, that's a few IQ points more than his grade point average. And, yeah, he's
0: like, like in this movie, he's like you guys said, he's very damaged. I mean, yes, he's drinking all the time, but it's not really like party, party time, life of the, life of the party drinking. You know, this is like, I'm just passing the time. But I then what.
1: The scenes I saw once he gets to wake up and go see her, you know then he has
0: a reason to yeah,
1: he gets a little happier when he wakes up and tells his girlfriend that she's cheating on him.
0: I love all of that. I love that change in the character, right because yeah. um but really, you have to I think have a certain maturity and a certain life world perspective to put something like that into what could have been you know a very straightforward. Kind of bland. Yeah, I feel like this could have flopped
1: really easily. I remember watching an interview with him where he had said when he got the audition for SNL, like he like jumped at it because all he had were like the Lonely Island skits. Like all three of them got on to SNL. Mm -hmm. His two friends were writers, and then he got on the show as an actor. But then he his team kind of started the SNL digital short transition. Like that was all him, and they've kept it going even though he's left and their contract that
0: kept was, snl like relevant it did. at all
1: it did and <laughs> yeah. i like he kind of saved it in that way and yeah. their contracts are seven years and they asked him to stay and he by the end of the seven years he was done and wanted to explore other things so he he left and i'm glad he did because he's he's doing good things i think
2: i think also uh to piggyback off of what you're saying there jesse is like it's comedy so i don't want to like talk to you sort of like uh, heavy about it and stuff like that but whether it's something like uh, pop star or palm springs it's such a keen understanding of the sort of genres and tropes that are out there and then to be like well what it like and to sort of go into it and mine it for its comedic value like they are sort of touching untouched snow you know to, and skiing down the mountain with it and creating the first paths with it uh pop star if you go back and you watch it's like fuck, that is really funny and it's really funny because they're kind of the first ones to skewer it in that way now you could mm-hmm. maybe you could maybe call out uh you know this is final tap and stuff like that but he that, sure you know, at that point in like 30 years and uh
0: but it, they're not just you know there there's ways to lazily you know just homage something and kind of you know do callbacks and let the original property do the work but these guys are smart with these right like of course they're referencing the comedy classics but they are updating them keeping them fresh and taking them in in new directions that maybe even in some cases are better than weightier but yeah maybe just more emotional more you have more emotional Range and registers maybe in these, which is funny to talk about in comedy. But to me, it's like, that's why this movie sold for so much at Sundance. You know, it's kind of like it ticks all the boxes. It's not just a, a broad, broad comedy. It's a broad comedy with heart and uh, a message. And, uh, you know, a lot of people watched it on, on Hulu these last couple of weeks. So obviously... Good choice.
2: It's one of those few ones that could really, I think, recommend to everybody. So go watch it. Erica's not here. It was
0: going to be her turn, guys. And so, Jesse, what recommendation do you have for us for the next episode?
1: Well, it's not something new, but it's something I'm re-watching recently just because it's hilarious. It is Big Mouth on Netflix, which <laughs> is Nick Kroll's animated show about kids going through puberty. And it is hilarious. It has uh, John Mulaney, Jason Manzukis, Jenny Slate, Fred Armisen, mm. some, some decent Jordan, names. Jordan, Jordan oh, Maya, Maya Rudolph and Jordan Peele. Sweet. Um, just like brief premise is the one kid has like a hormone monster that follows him around, and every time he gets urges, the monster shows up and bugs <laughs> him. <laughs> and okay. John Mulaney gets really annoyed by it. Uh, it's hilarious. Just. Give it a go. They're 30-minute episodes.
0: So we're going to watch the first three episodes of Big Mouth, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. That's a good one, Jesse.
1: Oh, thanks. that's been our episode check out palm springs on hulu and let us know what you think in the comment section on facebook next week will be our last episode of the summer so make sure you turn in our guest will be filmmaker danny pakulski i've worked with him on a couple films he's a great kid make sure you follow us on social media you'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode until next time this was film grain